This is UCI drama major John Lovitz, and you're listening to KUCI Irvine. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Coming to you from the KUCI headquarters in sunny Irvine, California, it's the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five with Paxton Wright. Tonight's guest, writer, actor, and a longtime alum of the Groundlings Theater of Improv in Los Angeles, it's Kathy Shambly Bear, featuring music from Heen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Paxton Wright. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, folks, welcome to the first ever episode of the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five with Paxton Wright. Uh, I'm your host, the talk show host still currently known as Paxton Wright. Uh, I want to explain just very briefly sort of what you can expect different from this show. And uh, that's a longer runtime. Yeah, so if you were familiar with Half Past Five last quarter, which I'm sure you were, it took the world by storm, uh, it was a half-hour talk show, kept it light, kept it breezy, kept it fun, and it was done in 30 minutes. Well, now I got a full hour to bite off, and I'm going to make the most of every precious second of it. And don't worry, it's not just me rambling like you're hearing now. Uh, that would be a nightmare for all parties if it was just me talking for an hour. Fortunately, I've got guests, I've got topics to discuss, and I've got guests to discuss. And it's, I didn't really have anything more to that. I've got guests. So that's, the, that's the long and short of it. Now, uh, if you want to reach out to me and tell me, Hey, Paxton, I love the sound of your voice, and I don't like the sound of anyone else's voice, not even my own. You should change your format. Or you should go, Hey, Paxton, you should just not have a show. I don't, I don't care for any of this. I think you're a bad person, and I think your show is bad along with you. There's a way you can let me know, and that is by reaching out to me via email at paxtonwright at kuci.org. That's P-A-X-T-O-N-W-R-I-G-H-T at K-U-C-I dot ho-har-G. Now, folks, I want to introduce my guest that I have tonight. Her name is Kathy Shambly Bear. She is a, a actually longtime uh, friend of mine. I've known her for several years now. Uh, but she's got a fascinating career, and I think this show is the perfect outlet to uh, let her explain her story. She, she is a an alumni with the Groundlings Theater for over 30 years now. The Groundlings Theater, if you're not familiar, they're a school of improv similar to Upright Citizens Brigade or Second City or I.O. Uh, lots of uh, major players from Saturday Night Live have come out of Groundlings. People like Phil Hartman, uh, John Lovitz, whose voice you just heard a second ago. Uh, who else? Uh, Kathy Griffin, Sherry O'Terry, the list goes on. Lots of people. Um, so, and, and Kathy has worked with many of them. And, and so we have her story here. And we also get into what else she's done. As I said in the intro, she's also an actor and a writer. Worked on a lot of uh, very popular shows, which I'm not going to spoil what those are. I'm going to let you stay tuned and find out because she's got some pretty interesting stories involved with them. And she also currently teaches at the Groundlings and as well as the uh, Maricosta High School Drama Department, which is how I first met her. And we actually get a little into that, that as well, uh, her work there. So without further ado... I'm going to play my satellite interview with Kathy, which I recorded yesterday, wherein we recorded at her house. So 
If you hear birds and barking dogs in the background, it's because we were recorded at our house. We do not have birds and barking dogs in this station as far as I know. But I've only been here for about two months, so there's a lot of stones left unturned for me in this building. So I'll look for barking dogs in the meantime. All right. Thanks a lot, folks. Hope you enjoy this interview with Kathy Shambly Bear. But uh, we're, we're in this together, Kathy. Now, uh, so so as we'll get more into your work with the high school later on. Of course, yeah, yeah. I want to get into you and how you got started. Uh, so you, as I said, were involved in the Groundlings. Do you want to get a little bit more into what the Groundlings are, what sets them apart from other schools? Yeah, um... As a groundling person, I'm going to say we're not similar to those other people. Those other people are similar to us. No. <laughs> That's, it's like so my modest. country, my country, right? Uh, groundlings are, uh, they've actually been touted as like a, one of the best acting schools in Hollywood. I think they've won a couple of awards on that because uh, it is comedy improvisation, but all of the classes and stuff start with a good acting background. So, um, and I once had a friend of mine who um, has written several movies and was on Saturday Night Live and uh, Anne was at UCB and um, I asked her, could you help explain the difference between all of them to me? And she, very nice, even as extremely busy, wrote out this entire like three page thing for me I thought really worked, which was uh, the Groundlings are character first. So you're studying improvisation and comedy, but eventually what really defines them as opposed to UCB or Second City, which, and I love all of those, um, but we aren't as game oriented. We're not, uh, it's not about getting the laugh right away. Um, and it's not necessarily uh, about politics or uh, heady ideas or anything like that. Um, those might all be in there, of course, but it's really character first, right? right. So we do a lot, uh, at the Groundlings, we do a lot of character study and, um, Acting coming from character's point of view first. Right. So, yeah, so that that is, like, could you give an example of kind of, because I know, like, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade is very, it's it's kind of based in not necessarily breaking, but skirting the fourth wall, uh, a sort of self-awareness about mm-hmm. the fact that you're doing improv. Uh, second city, sort of the, <laughs> we, got, we got a second commentator with uh, Pedro the dog out there. Um, try to scrub that audio as much as I can, but if not, uh, you know, we got, we got an audience, so yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, and uh, second city, which was kind of, you know, sort of one of the original dogs as well. Dogs are now in my head. Now um, in your head, yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, they're they're kind of more uh, shtick based and a lot of like, uh, uh, you know, finding a joke and running with it. So, Groundlings, yeah, it, it's more of finding your character uh, and then making that person and their eccentricities or their quirks kind of the core of the scene. Am I, am I right in that? I think that's about right. Um, it's, whereas I see Second City, who I really love, I love their whole style and their, their teaching and have for years, but I, I think theirs comes from an idea, like, here's a good idea. You know, what if two people were looking at this, but here's the restraint, right? And I would say groundlings come from, uh, let's talk about who those two people are, mm-hmm. right? So let's let's think about where who those characters are. They need to be grounded. We need to believe them. But it's uh, the eccentricities of those characters, the extremes of those characters, the, the wackiness, the uh, you recognize your uncle, your aunt, your brother, yourself, your mom, 
that guy that you used to work with, uh, that, that woman who used to run everything when you were at school. So it's like those characters, right? So they need to be grounded, but it's coming from their point of view. So we stress a lot about character point of view and their spine line, what's got them going, what's going on in their head. And then once you know that person and that character and you're doing that character really well, now let's put them in different situations. So it's not so much about, oh, here's a funny situation. It's here's a person, here's a real living being. And then what do they do in that situation that no one else would do it the way they did it? No one else would say it that way. Those lines wouldn't come out of everybody's mouth. It would just come out of theirs. So, for instance, when I'm teaching those levels at the ground lanes, very often I'll say, you'll read your sketch, you'll read your monologue, and in someone else's hands, it's not going to necessarily be the funniest and definitely wouldn't be jokey. In fact, I'll nail them if it's too jokey. But coming out of this character, it will live and it will be far funnier. It will last longer because it will be coming from that head right and right. how they say it so that's the best way i can think right and so what is it about that 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 school of thinking because i think that also it, it, it caters to a very specific kind of performer that wants to do that and again nothing but love to ucb and and second city and all of them mm-hmm. uh they they cater to specific people um with specific tastes and proclivities uh in as far as performance but Groundlings is so about the joke really comes second. And the joke, but it's still so crucial and important, totally, yeah. but it's found in these scenarios. So what is it about that that appeals to you and on a larger spectrum appeals to so many people, actors uh, primarily, um, above other schools? Well, for me personally... Because that's the most important. We'll talk about that first. Um, <laughs> uh, for me personally, I I grew up in the South in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And I had a lot of extended family around me. I was out in the country, dirt road. I had a lot of characters to draw upon. Right. Um, I think uh, I didn't come from uh, a lot of means or anything. So I had a a lot of opportunity to study people from Pentecostal holiness churches to uh, my own cousins and uh, uncles and aunts. And that journey from there to Los Angeles, California has a lot of characters right. along the road. Another <laughs> an, another place full of bizarre humans <laughs> yeah, entirely. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and no less, no better, just really interesting characters. Right. So when I was growing up, Lily Tomlin was the icon for me. I sure. could do her entire bit. Uh, when I first saw her live, and I was like in the third row, middle seat, and she was doing a bag lady when <clears throat> everyone had said, you can't do bag ladies anymore, and then Lily Tom does an entire show of it, because right. if you do the character that well, you can do a whole show on it. Um and she literally, like, she was almost spitting on me when she was talking. And I, I couldn't breathe. I was so excited. Right. Like, she was someone that was like, oh, my God, she just keeps transferring. Tracy Allman, again, another of person course. who's like, for me, it's like, you are you are losing yourself in this character. And yet you are in there, too. And that is the grounded part. So um, that was pe- those were people I responded to and that, like, just dragged me into character work. Um, again... I do respond to Second City stuff because I really enjoy writing and story is 
one of my number one things in everything from food to arts. Um, so I enjoy their idea of here's an idea, the, the human condition, you know, and so for me, when I first came to the Groundlings, it was sort of that mixture of that coming from ground, you know, character and in their condition. Since then, I think it has defined itself more, maybe because it needed to, because there were so many other companies and other ideas and other uh, ways of, you know, coming at this improv world that they've become more and more character driven as a way of defining themselves. They right. were always that way, but um, I would say more now than ever. Um, and I responded to it that way. And there are people like, I mean, all of us come, you know, we laugh at different things. So I, I think there are, there is something for everyone. I love that there are, there are so many ways to approach this, you know, mm-hmm. like I always start my class by going, Hey, don't take it personally. You know, if you're, if you're staying here or you're moving on, don't take it personally. We are a speck on the underbelly of Hollywood. <laughs> and so is everyone else. So it's not the only place. It's a great place, but like not the only place. Every yeah. person in comedy views themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Judy Toll, who was a groundling a million years ago sure. um, and passed away, unfortunately, really, really early. But her when she did stand up also and was really funny, funny woman. Um, but one of her favorite lines that have always stayed with me is uh, an actor thinks of themselves as a piece that the world should revolve around right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um i, I can't uh I, I can't uh dispute that in my limited experience as an actor um and many of my closest friends are actors as well yeah. but uh it's not i don't think they would disagree with that sentiment either yeah. i think there's at least enough, a level of self-awareness there to, yeah. to fest to something like that uh, and if you can't fest to something like that, maybe you don't got what it takes, kid. <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. You're going to go out there, you're going to be a star. We're all rooting for you, whoever is listening that's an actor. Uh, <laughs> now, th- this sort of leads me to my next question, though. So you came out to L.A. to seek this greater career uh, in entertainment and writing and acting. Where did the Groundlings come along? Because by the time you got there, they were still sort of budding, right? They were still a pretty young company. Um, I guess so in terms of where they are now, yeah. I actually left North Carolina, moved to Houston, Texas. And it was in the 80s during the uh, whole oil boom and urban cowboy days and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And I went to see the comedy workshop, which was in the Westminster area. And there was this fantastic group small group of people on a cabaret stage and cabaret meaning there was a bar in there and little round tables and a couple of chairs right at the stage to the point where you when you were standing on the stage every now and then a real jerk the nicest radio way i can say (laughs) is uh would hold out a cigarette next to your ankle just to see if it would make you jump so we're talking like this is in the crowd they would do yes okay yeah these are the customers right the in the audience, they're like... What a hilarious prank. Hysterical, right? Ugh. So, I mean, they're drinking, and it's a cabaret, right? So that also lends itself to a lot of fun improv, and we did sketch. The first time I went to see these people, one of the guys who was one of the best people ever, he and his wife played every musical instrument over in this little corner as a little quartet, and then a couple other funny guys, and then they would jump in and do sketches, and they had like three curtain, three doors with curtains on it, and then they had a little multimedia thing going too, a camera where you'd like you'd follow them, they'd go through the curtain and you'd follow them out to the streets of Houston talking. I thought it was amazing. I sat there with my mouth open as a someone who was about 24, 25 years old going, 
I think I just saw what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then they came on and did an improv set, which blew me away because I had, I'd been studying dance in school. I hadn't studied improv or anything. And I went home like in tears. I cried in the car all the way home. Right. Going, my God, this is amazing. Um, I don't know what it is, but I love it. And uh, so I called them right away. They had classes. I jumped in and I moved along that company really, really fast. Those are, my teacher is still, I think is an amazing woman, Kathy Drago. It's a teacher in Texas still and an artist, and she was one of the best teachers of basic improv skills still to this day I've ever known. We had a great, real small, tight core. And then uh, I was married at the time and we were moving, and we were moving to California or New York. And for me, it was uh, uh, sunshine, give me some right, sunshine. Right. I don't like the cold. Um, so we, we chose California and we came out here. And when we came for a visit, one of the women who had worked at the comedy workshop, people at the comedy workshop said, she's at this other small theater. She left left and went to Los Angeles, and she's at this small theater called The Groundlings. So when I got here, we signed up. Let's get some tickets and go see this show they call The Groundlings, right? So we went to the theater on Melrose, still same place, and um, she was in it, and, she, and I watched that show, and was again like blown away wait a minute no this is how you do it no 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 this right this is the way it's done i thought that was the way it's done but this is the way it's done <laughs> nothing this, has mattered up to this that, point nothing, that, yeah. all of that was nothing <laughs> this is the way it's done so i went back in time just to do my show that night and probably made everybody uh vomitous because i sat around this table that we would gather at to have a drink before the show and i was going you guys i just saw heaven i just i just saw the way the world is supposed to work and um and they were probably like thanks guess we should go do our nothing show now um so we did our show and then eventually within a six months or so i moved to los angeles and of course the first thing i did was go to the groundlings theater no, I want to be a part of this. Now, to the credit, it was a culture shock because I had been performing every night, five nights a week. Um, usually it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night show, being paid for it. You could make, you know, you could pay for an apartment or something, doing comedy, music, sketch improv. Uh, also, very different time. <laughs> very different place, very different time. The other side of that theater was a stand-up comedy club with um, Kennison. Oh, and, yeah, Sam uh, yeah. Kennison. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Brett Butler at the time. Oh, Sam wow. Kennison was in the stand-up club rolling up play, placemats and huffing down some Coke. And, uh, <laughs> or up Coke, I guess you don't can tell. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> anyway, it was those were some crazy. Like The stand-up club was the one that, like, don't go in there by yourself. It's crazy. It was stand-up in that era was... The equivalent to Times Square in that era, yes. I suppose. Yeah. Yes, and you're in Texas, so like you know, that's you could have an open container and a gun in your truck, and nobody's, you know, the wiser or cares. And you're just Joe Blow from down the street. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, so when I got to Los Angeles, I went straight to the Groundlings, and I'm thinking, I'm a performer, I'm a comedy improv person, you know. So when do you want to hire hire me? Right. Only to find out, oh no, you audition for classes that you're going to pay for and work your way into a performance situation. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I, I don't understand. What I pay you? So that was Wait. the first joke, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys are really funny here. Um, and then I have to say, my first teacher, I auditioned past several levels, thankfully. Uh, that was the one ego stroke at the time. But, um, 
my first teacher was Phyllis Katz, who is still teaching at the Growlings. An amazing teacher. Best song improv teacher. Oh, she's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, great performer also. And I remember walking up to her in the lobby because I was taking her intermediate class and saying, hey, you know, um, if the Growlings need anyone, you know, I'd really like to perform with you. And she could have easily just treated me like the idiot that I was right. and instead said, "I it's not really how it works here, but I'll keep it in mind. And, you know, I think you'll learn how it works the more time you're around. So that was a big shock there for me because it doesn't work that way at all. Right. And the only, the performers are come from the school ever. You, there's no other way in. Um, at the time, less classes than now. And... Uh, in my advanced class, that is how you got into the Sunday Company, uh, I was with John Lovitz and um, Kay Herberly and a couple other right. people in there. So it was a learning experience for me to find out that's how it went. Um, and then once you're in the main show, once you're in the Sunday Company, it's a giant audition forever because the main company votes on whether you move into the main company or not. Right. Um, and then after you whenever, if ever you get in the main company, you're still having to perform material and the director decides what's in the show. So it's a never, you're always scrambling. You're constantly it's, auditioning. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, very um, small microcosm of the rest of the world. Right. <laughs> and the rest of, you know, entertainment business. Right. Yeah, and so I don't even know if I answered your question that. No, I think that I, was, I, I think know. that was more than thorough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, that was... Above and beyond. Yeah, I'm I was sure. Like, I don't even remember what the question was. And so, uh, no, no, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so you uh, you've mentioned you know just a few names that you've dropped already. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that I are, try to drop as many as. And it's and ever and it, it makes you seem very cool. Okay, um, good. But it's uh, yeah. The Groundlings has been host to so many notable alumni over the years yeah. that. Uh, I, I don't know if all, but at least I know for a fact that many of whom you have uh, uh, had run-ins, worked with as well, run-ins in mostly a positive context. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> exclusively positive. Uh, no. No no such thing as a <laughs> as a mean person in entertainment. No, um, not at all. No, Hollywood's tra- made the nicest people in the world. It attracts the best of the best, mm-hmm. as, especially as, we, as we've learned in the last few <laughs> years. But, I mean, just to name a few, you've got alumni like uh, uh, Chris Parnell, Sherry O'Terry, Will Forte, uh, Anna Gasteyer, uh, uh, Kristen Wiig, Phil Lamar, my personal hero, Phil Hartman. You've got just a, a, a slew of people. And, and, you know, people still coming out today, like Taryn Killam, and I, I think I said Mikey Day a second ago, you yes. know? Um, so it, it's still such a powerhouse for for. Uh, up and coming budding entertainers in your time with the groundlings uh has there been any particular encounters or or stories you can relay that paints everybody in a mostly more or less positive light uh actually everyone that you just named are really awesome people um really terrific i taught sherry o'terry I taught Will Forte no several kidding. classes, the most inventive mind ever. Um, at the ground, as like I said, you you know, you come from character, it needs to be all grounded and stuff until someone comes along like Will Forte and can do a monologue where he's breaking up with a can of corn. 
Okay, so... <laughs> I love that I can picture it perfectly in my head. And he's the only guy that could do it. Right. Really. I mean, he's the only guy that could do that, and you go, that's got to be in well, the show. Well, let me tell you something, <laughs> corn. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, that has to be in the show. That makes zero sense, and I'm not even sure it's Groundly Stop. It has to be in the show. He's the loveliest, still, the loveliest, most inventive mind ever. Will Ferrell's one of the sweetest guys. So funny. So completely a real person. I directed the Groundlings uh, 30th anniversary show in um, Hollywood, uh, I think at the Henry Fonda Theater, I can't remember. Um, Will Ferrell was shooting a movie and he had agreed to be in it. Um, the movie shot a little bit longer than he thought. He had been up all night, got on a plane and got there and everything that we had planned for him to do, there was no time to do it. He literally walked in about 30 minutes before the show was going on. And, uh, and he was just like, I mean, I don't know if he had slept in anything at all, except maybe on the plane. And he was like, Kathy, obviously, you know, I, I didn't get here in time to do this sketch. I don't know what they're doing. You know, what can we do? And I said, how about we just, this is an old burlesque theater, beautiful old theater in Hollywood. I was like, what if we put you up there in that catbird seat up there in that like burlesque seat, right? And like, let you just do like your... a Statler and Waldorf seat? Yes, or, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I said, and why don't you just do some Harry Carey? <laughs> And field some questions from the audience and, you know, and just improvise, just have a good time with it. And he was like, got it. I can do that. Great. And, you know, he was, uh, he, he's amazing. He's such a great person and so funny and still uh, really real. Kristen Wiig also, she's this person, I've only been able to work with her on stage a couple of times when she came back and I happened to be on a show too or something like that. But one night she was in a show and I brought my son Buster, who's an actor and musician and funny guy and he he was in I think it was a senior year of high school or something um, and he came to the show with me and uh, I was doing an alumni show after it and she was in the show before that a Thursday night show right so we come backstage and I'm going and Kristen's like Kathy hey da, da, da. and she looks at Buster and she goes hi um, I'm Kristen Wiig and he's like uh, yeah I think I'm aware I, I think yeah. I know who you are <laughs> and I mean this is at the height of her saying it like, and all of her characters so people who are like that for me are resound like they give everything a good name they give the city a good name they give improv a good name they give comedy a good name awesome uh, Sherry O'Terry to this day you know on Facebook where they're so funny such a good person animal lover always doing philanthropy work and stuff um, those kind of people who are so funny like that uh, they're timeless. It's Bill Lovitz. Hartman was teaching when I first came to the Groundlings. I didn't get to have him as a teacher, but later I was in a couple of shows when he would come back and do shows. He was someone that I, I didn't know so well, but because I was too in awe to hardly speak to him. Right. So I was a student and just coming up and I was like, oh my God, he was someone that I saw when I visited and was just like, oh, who was that guy? Right. Um, and he was so quirky and he was an artist to begin with and did album covers for a living right. for a while. And he was just, I mean, he would just, like, he would just turn on a dime into another character and just, he didn't need any writing. He was an amazing improviser. Yeah. Yeah. He was, did you read his, uh, the biography that was written about him a few years ago? By his brother? Uh, was it his brother that wrote it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe his brother did do a lot of stuff, but I, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know that it was his brother, but it was, it was very good, um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's a great read and it's just, you really see what a prodigious sort of 
like Swiss Army knife of an artist he was. He could just do. He could pick something up and just do it. Yeah, and, really incredible. To that, to to that, hard getting him to like, uh, you know, go down one one wire. <laughs> right. Was hard because a lot of artists, great artists, are like that, right? Phil Lamar that you spoke of. Another another God, hero of I adore mine. Him. Yeah. Super Incredible. talent. Again, fantastic person. Really, a really wonderful person. I love Phil. I taught him. He was in my advanced class. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and I still uh, see him and talk to him now and then. Just super, so multi-talented. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And for those unfamiliar with Phil Lamar, uh, if nothing else, you're familiar with his voice. Um, he was on Mad TV for years also. I think the thing that I was first exposed to him with as a as a child that I think a lot of people were first exposed was uh, the voice of Samurai Jack, yeah. uh, among countless other voices. Um, so yeah, he's he's really a, an exceptional talent that's still going strong. Still, oh yeah, appears he's in things every all the time. Comic Con, he's uh, he's also part of a, um, a show that they do that kind of spurred from the ground. Like Jordan Black started it. Um, it's called the Black Version. Uh, so essentially, they uh, Daniel Gaither, Phil Lamar, Jordan Black, sometimes Gary Williams, um, uh, they'll do a show at Karen Mariama is the director and they'll take a movie from the audience and then they'll do the black version of it <laughs> so uh it's hysterical and uh Phil's been doing that for a couple of years with Jordan still doing then, it yeah I'll yeah just this past Monday night it always sells out you'll have to you'll have to see when it's on get on the Groundlings website and watch for it and pull it right when you see it. I'll have to swoop those tickets <laughs> yeah. yeah that sounds great yeah. I have to check that out um, mo- moving on from the Groundlings, and of course, it's going to be, I mean, you're still with them today, so it's going to be uh, pretty, uh, I don't think concurrent's the right word, but I'm going to use concurrent yeah. uh, with, with everything else that <laughs> we're talking about. Symbiotic, yeah. yeah. I like that better. Ooh, that's like, it's, it's uh, biological. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've also had a uh, pretty lengthy career in entertainment outside of Groundlings as well, uh, writing for one, and uh, one particular uh, show that you worked on in the past that I know is very near and dear to me, and I think a lot of people of my generation, uh, was a little animated show called Pinky and the Brain, which was a spinoff of another very near and dear show, Animaniacs. Yeah. Um, you wrote for a few episodes of Pinky and the Brain, correct? I, I wrote a couple of them. The, uh, one of the guys who was running um, that at the time, Peter Hastings. Well, there are a few growlings involved with animation. Animaniacs, Sherry Stoner and Deanna Oliver. Deanna still directs the growlings and has since God was a baby, I think. Sherry Stoner and Deanna Oliver and Peter Hastings are three groundlings who were very involved with Animaniacs. Um, Sherry was a, actually, a, how do you call it, like a human model for um, the mermaid. Oh, like, and, like mocap? Yeah, and, was it pre-mocap? Belle, it, she, she had all the things held up to her and the animators would she watch had the little, her the body. little balls on her and, and stuff? Yeah, oh, then, yeah mocap. I was and, and before that, that too. And she was, so she was the mermaid, Belle, she was like, Wow. I mean, if you see her and you see the mermaid, you go, that there like, she is. It's her, yeah. right? They used her exactly. So, again, three really funny people Peter Hastings, uh, director and writer, and he ran um, one Saturday morning for Disney, and he's directed now a couple of animated movies too. He was working with Pinky and the Brain, and my husband, Brett Bear, and his writing partner, Dave Finkel, were writing pinky in the brains and i was pregnant with my son so i pitched a few pinky in the brains because i'm like sitting around pregnant right and i had written a Might cast as well just pitch a cartoon <laughs> yeah exactly going on. doesn't yeah. everybody know <laughs> pregnant? Um, oh, i'm pregnant i better write a cartoon um 
And it kind of started with uh, Casper. Uh, Deanna Oliver and Sherry Stoner wrote the Casper movie. And they were also writing some Saturday morning Caspers. And I told her, I wrote to her and said, could I pitch on anything? Is there anything I can do? I'm really bored. So they allowed me to pitch a few shows. So then when Brett and Dave were writing on Pink in the Brain, I asked Peter, can I pitch a couple of shows here and try to get this? It was great money. And, you know, it came from some of the same improvisational minds. So that was a really fun show. My The most fun with animation, is, for me, the most interesting thing about writing animation are the rules that you have to learn. It's like, for instance, when we were writing, when I was writing one for Casper, for Sherry and Deanna, um, I had to think about the rules. Essentially, um, the rules of Casper is he is a dead little boy and you right. <laughs> can't ever talk about the fact that he's a dead little boy. And so there are rules that he can do and rules that he can't do. Like Spooky could go through the door and then his hat stayed. Anybody wonder why? But um, because his clothes didn't, you know, right. or, or any other, his cane didn't, or other things. Other ghosts went through with, but there were certain rules. One of the things I remember so fondly about that show, and I think a lot of people reflect well on that show with, is that it came in that same era of things like Ren and Stimpy, mm -hmm. which were so cutting edge and and some of the most taboo things you've ever seen on children's television like did they just say that did they get away with that yeah, yeah. uh I, when when you were doing that for for pinky in the brain and i don't assume casper as much fell into that territory but pinky in the brain what's the metric you have to keep in mind as far as how far can we push this envelope when, when does it get too racy and risque for children how do you how, do, how does that balancing act work um i think just like with all television you have someone in charge of um i call it ways and means but really it's uh the codes the moral codes they have and networks have them still and you have someone uh with sitcoms or whatever they come in and go oh you can say this word but you can't say that word funny because right. that word means that but mm. whatever <laughs> right. um you can do this but you can't do that you know and those are there's a whole person and sometimes an entire group of people just in charge of that. I would say for stuff like Pinky and the Brain, um, it was the showrunners were the first filter because they were the ones meeting with the studio and Steven Spielberg and uh, Disney and all that deciding what can be said. But very often they wanted you to be creative and I think one of the things they did so brilliantly were to hire writers who weren't necessarily writing from old animation, but were writing from story. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, my husband that you know, Brett Baer and Dave Finkel, they wrote Animaniacs and they wrote, a couple of the ones they wrote were hysterical because they were about Hemingway. <laughs> and they were just right. about uh, the Animaniacs messing up Hemingway when he was suffering and depression right. and trying to, right. and, and, and it was like, if you know these two guys, you know they're not cartoon writers. They are comics, improvisational, and um, story. Mm -hmm. And that's where they came from first. So they just wrote what they did. And their pinky in the brains were, they wrote a whole, you know, Brain Jack. It was off of Billy Jack, the movie. Oh, wow, that is a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and some of theirs were so, like, they came, I mean, they came from theatrical background and um, really alternative ways of thinking. And they would just come from that first and then try to fit it into a pinky in the brain. So I think that's how you got, you, you didn't necessarily hire cartoon writers you hired story people and comics and comedian and great minds and right. they 
they just came from that and then how would pink in the brain fit in that <laughs> right yeah. that that's an interesting thing too because you because again i i really think that the and i think a lot of people share this sentiment that the 90s were such a renaissance for cartoons uh in that like you know we had uh you know the 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 40s and 50s you had looney tunes and things that were not necessarily for children they were kind of for all ages but Mm -hmm. sometimes really not for children it didn't there was no clear guideline on where those were directed hanna-barbera comes around with things like the flintstones and the jetsons and and, you know great great shows scooby-doo uh great shows for what they were but sort of set that precedent of like Oh, animation is done cheaply. It's for children. That's that's well, and you can get away with saying so much if it's a, an animated person saying it. They can do things. Get away. King of the Hill is an amazing animated thirty-minute, you know, primetime show. Um, Cheryl Holiday, I uh, used to write on uh, King of the Hill. She was from the Houston Comedy Workshop. You used that to write on King of the Hill. Um, I didn't. Oh, she, oh, she did. Okay. Was, she was from I, the Houston Comedy Workshop, and she wrote on King of the Hill. In fact, the dad's character, the veteran guy that was always oh like, right, said, yeah, is her off of her dad. Oh no, kidding. And I mean, she is hysterical. This is a great, funny, funny woman. Um, and King of the Hill used to. I mean, they would say things in there that came from that Texas, like a play on the Texas mind that was like. You would not be allowed to do that in a sitcom. You right. could not go there. You could not say that. I don't care who that character was. They couldn't have said that. Right. But you're able to like say it and explore it and bash him on the head and you know get away with. It. Right. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah. that's actually just just uh I mean to get a little <laughs> off topic just a second, but it's one of the things I loved about that show too is that Mike judges animation style like it's it is a show that on the surface. Seems like why is it this live action? Because yes. um, his animation style is so stagnant. It's so uh, it's uh, it's semi photorealistic for what it is. You know, like yeah. it's by the the show's humor is so dry and dialogue based. You think this whole time, why why is this not just a live action series? When you yeah. realize it's it's on the networks in the nineties. You know, they they needed to they needed to serpentine around some of these restrictions. It was yeah. the smartest way to do it. Uh, and yeah, and so I just think that like shows like Animaniacs represented such a again a, nothing but peace and love to Hanna Barbera. I, Top Cat was one of my favorite shows as a kid, but oh, yeah, but, me too. but like <laughs> Animaniacs was so about like taking back this notion that you kind of had to pander to kids, especially and I think less from Hanna Barbera and more from the '80s with like the toy commercial yeah. shows. And they're like, no, animation can can be done with love. It can be, you can look beautiful. Money can go into it, and you can actually be really funny, and you can yeah. do some brilliant writing on it. And that set a whole new precedent for another sort of golden age of animation that I think we are still in. Currently. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so that's just, yeah, I think it's really cool that you got to be a part of that. And I, I know it was very fun. I just dabbled, but um, but it was great, and getting the notes back and stuff were great too. Um, there were a couple other shows that I wrote on. Atomic Babies was mm-hmm. one uh, that they tried to get going. It didn't. It didn't really go. I but think that, I remember Atomic, Atomic Babies. Atomic Babies were just always pooping and farting. That was the really there. gross <laughs> out one. I remember Atomic Babies. It was so yes. gross. He couldn't make it past that <laughs> right. half a season. But it was really fun to write for. Funny. I was. It's so weird. I was listening to a podcast recently, maybe a month ago. Where they were talking about uh, sort of cartoons that time forgot, and Atomic <laughs> Babies was one of them. Uh, this is all just this is so strange that we are, are yeah. returning to Atomic Babies yet again. Yeah. Um, I just want to talk about just a bit of your uh, acting work as well. A few years ago, you uh, 
it, it was a bit part, but it was a really memorable part on uh, the show. Uh, you, a lot of people probably know uh, United States of Terra, wherein you played uh, the flight attendant Bunny, yeah. who was something of a uh, something of a drill sergeant in the world of flight attendants. Something I didn't really necessarily associate. You want to tell us a bit about that character? It was so fun because I spent a lot of time at the Groundlings. I was at the Groundlings. I was in my 20s, southern blonde, blue-eyed girl. And um, I, I would try really hard to play mean characters. I, I went to my, I tried to do a monologue of uh, this woman that I did see at, at a Denny's having breakfast with her baby and a baby carrier in front of her while she was smoking a cigarette and the ashes were falling all over her baby. <laughs> Which sounds horrible, but it also made me laugh. Um, so I tried to do a monologue like that, and I just couldn't get away with it. I had too much of that little cheery look to me, and it was uh, I could play um, really, really old people because I could get to my grandparents and stuff. But when I tried to play course or whatever, I think I, that was a, it was, I could never get cast. I was always cast a certain thing. So getting a little bit older and then suddenly being able to play this, you know, bitch on wheels kind of right. thing. Um, and playing this woman who I have a really, uh, I have a mean looking resting face just, right. just genetically. Um, so being able there's to a, just, There's a term for that that we can't say on the radio. Yes, I know. We... Yes, I skipped over that pretty, pretty nicely, I think. And I suddenly I got to just like live in that and let it be okay and like access it. Um, and Brie Larson, of course, we know she went on right. to amazing heights, but uh, couldn't have been nicer. Hysterically funny. In fact, Her and Ricky Lindholm, show. right? Where you played off of? Yeah. yeah. Um, she was awesome and really f- funny. You know, that show was a more of a dramedy kind of thing. Tony Collette, uh, incredible actress, but Brie was really funny and really giving. During that, I mean, she didn't need to upstage or anything. She's like, no, you go. Because, you know, we would do a few things and improvise a couple of lines. Uh, but it was really, really fun to play someone mean. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I wanted to actually, yeah, you sort of answered my question already, but I was going to ask. Yeah, was there anybody in your life or anybody that you drew from for that character? It sounds like it was kind of this, this Denny's... Uh, it Super is, mom. It is that, but basically, I'm really a mean person. So no, uh, no. But I have. I a can lot vouch. Of, <laughs> um, no, I have. Uh, I have plenty of people to draw for, for that. <laughs> <laughs> Names, I assume, that cannot be named. Yeah. But yeah. no, it's a. It was a. It's a hysterical role, and I. It really. I. I, I mean. Full disclosure, I wasn't really that familiar with the show. I, yeah. I knew of it. I, I, I was, the title sort of made its rounds. It was nominated for a few Emmys, if I'm not mistaken. It was, yeah. and, and a Golden Globe. I mean, she was nominated for a Golden Globe, uh, Tony, but um, it was actually Steven Spielberg's idea, and he had seen Diablo Cody's work and brought it to her and said, would you write this pilot for me? I'd like to really do this. They worked together on that. Um, so then uh, Diablo Cody was really was ahead of ahead of it at the beginning and it was a brilliant idea and i don't know who could have done it any better than tony collette playing so many different roles but there was a lot of research went into it it stayed very true in fact they had a lot of meetings with committees and research and doctors uh, and especially people who have had these conditions of multiple personalities and had to live with them and all this um and family members so there was a lot of talk. I mean, they were very concerned that they were going to be made fun of or it wasn't going to be done well. Insensitive, yeah. Exactly. And so because of that, the show was really way probably above the common television show and therefore, 
you're never going to get that main mainstream thing happening. Right. right? But, but it did garner yeah. a pretty substantial cult following. I, it definitely I had critical that. review. Yeah. And it definitely had critical following. Yeah. Yeah. And I so how did that how did that role sort of come to you? Did you did you audition or what was the? I did. The funniest thing is because my husband is in the business writing and stuff very often. Anytime you have whatever cousin, friend, husband, wife, kids, anybody in the business, the question is always, uh, well, why don't they just get you on that show? Right. <laughs> Until anybody who works in the business will know that's the last person that could ever get you on a show. So that role particularly, I went in and I uh, I got a call from my agent. You have this audition for United States of Terra. And I thought, oh, wow, my husband's over there. I should call him and ask him about it. But he, I know today they've got in all these meetings I'm not going to call. So I went to the casting director and I'm assuming she knows, oh, my husband works on the United States of Terra. Uh, and I go and so I'm reading it. It probably gave me a little confidence thinking that I, he probably said, read, read her for this. Ma- right. Maybe. Doesn't usually, but maybe that's what happened. I mean, what are the chances? So I read for it and she was like, great, that's terrific. I'm going to send it over. And I'm like, you realize my husband's on this right and she's like no who's your husband and that uh, both made me feel great and also want to come home and kill my husband like why didn't you think of me for that role um so uh so i actually had to audition they sent it over and i had to call him and tell him hey i just read for a television show that you're on right thanks and thanks funny funny thing yeah Yeah. funny thing so um so uh, it came from um, you know an audition that my agent sent me on. It was just one of those regular things, but I happen to actually know someone on the show too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's uh, yeah, only a greater perk. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we're starting to run pretty low on time here, but I do want to talk, of course, about one thing we we addressed very briefly at the beginning of the interview. But I do want to circle back to is uh, our history and the work you are yeah. aside from uh, teaching at the Groundlings, you are also teaching much younger students as well. You and I met, uh, again, if, if you're just tuning in now or you missed the beginning of the interview, uh, you and I met when I was in high school and I was part of the high school's drama department. And your son, Buster, who you also mentioned earlier, he and I were in the department together. And you would come to the uh, rehearsals for the shows and you would do different character workshops and, and improv exercises and help train us and help us understand our characters better because one thing that I think this department really does pride itself on uh, and rightfully so is that it's a department that uh, really does put a lot of care and meticulous effort into delivering the best show that they can so yeah given that the school does really pride itself on that level uh, of quality (coughs) what is it like to to be a part of that to get to train these really young people some of whom you know, may go on to really pursue this as a career, some of whom maybe are just doing it for fun. Like, you're really teaching a, a wide range of budding minds. What's that like? That is some of the most fun and most rewarding stuff I've done. I mean, I love, I really love teaching, which isn't something I ever thought I would say when I was younger. But you're right, Maricosta High School over here in Manhattan Beach is so supportive of their drama department and the arts. But I think that actually, besides, you know, Thank you to the school board and blah, blah. Um, it's the parents around here right. are phenomenal. Oh, yeah. The parents who just, whatever, I don't know how it just happened to be or whatever, but they um, get behind the program and support it. And and not only just like coming out and their money and all that stuff, but just emotionally support. They want 
they want good quality education and they see that the arts are part of a good education, which again, we are incredibly fortunate to have intelligent minds to see that arts is so important. So it's a pleasure. It's been a, a remarkable uh, few years that I've gotten to work there. Some of the differences, I think I hear a lot of people talking about uh, millennials down to teenagers today. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it sounds really negative and I just don't get it. The most fascinating people to me right now are millennials and the teenagers today. Their minds are so curious and eager. And I know that age has always been, you know, mine too, and mine still is, but right. I don't see the I don't see the people these people are talking about. I don't right. I don't know who they're looking at because all the young people I meet again from teenagers to you know early thirties, so energized and so driven and so they've just got a filter on that they're just not ready to just take both. I mean they're just right. not ready to accept anything, and that is a credit to the older people who have allowed a world to come about that can do that. I know I'm getting way off topic, but no, uh, no, no, no. I'm just saying the young people are fascinating here. Yeah. They really want to learn. And, and in Miracosa, I don't know if it's like that in high, every high school. I'm sure it goes back and forth. But when I come in to do character workshops, they want to do it. They want, they're like really eager to, to, and it's not people who are just, all oh, they want to be actors. It's not drama department. Like, these are all people who want to be actors. In fact, most of them won't be. Right. Most of them will will use the tools, which, you know, I, I haven't talked about improvisation and how I still get chill bumps. Improvisation for me is something everyone should be taking. It should be a requirement. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be able to go outside as a person until you've <laughs> taken improvisation. Um, because those rules are all about communication and getting along and negotiating and hearing and listening to people. And I teach that in, in giant firms and companies right now to doctors and lawyers and all the way to high school students and little kids. Um, the difference between someone who has at least had a really great basic improv, not about acting, but about those communication skills is, is astounding to me. So when I go over to Maricosta and work on character workshops, they're so eager and it's so exciting. And there's so much more involved than just doing a character or an improv workshop. A couple of years ago, I did a thing called Tonight's Play. That's just what we called it. But we did workshops from September to January, just every now and then, once a week, twice a week. It got to more than that at the end. And it was studying story and literature and story structure. And eventually we did an improv improvised play, a one act, two one acts that didn't have anything to do but going to the audience for suggestions. One was a musical and one was a straight play. And to get there, the reason it looked simple and anybody could have done this is because they had workshopped so long and so much on story development mm -hmm. and what story brings to it. And then I had a lot of them write me or email me later saying, you know, I used my I used this as my essay for college and also this story structure helped me with my essays and it helped me look at literature a different way and look at my English class a different way and look right. at my science class a different way so that is really really rewarding it's exciting to me that's my number one thing so uh it's, that things are exciting to me that's where that sounded um, no, it's exciting to me because story is my number one love and then to see young people who are so inventive and come up with things that 30-year-olds aren't thinking of or 40-year-olds aren't thinking of. The difference between teaching them was very different because I might go to the groundlings and I'm talking to adults and the language is one way and then all of a sudden that afternoon I'm in the high school and I'll find myself, you know, saying right. words and I'll just go, 
okay, well, I would be fired right now, but, um, and then I'd have to back it up, you know, and then same thing, I would go into my adult classes and be like talking to them like they hadn't done this before and it'd be like slap, slap, you know, okay, right. uh, catch it up. But uh, yeah, but it's incredibly fortunate area, incredibly fortunate high school. Improvisation should be taught in every high school. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I really, truly believe that so much of my life would be different. I don't know where I would be right now. Uh, what I'd be doing if it weren't for my time doing uh, drama and improv in high school. That, that was, those were some of the most formative years of my life, largely due to uh, yourself and so many of the other uh, educators that I had around me and my peers at the time too, that also yeah. we were really, it was such a collaborative experience that everyone was so engaged and eager and wanting to help each other and deliver such a great product. No one was really there to be the standout star everyone wanted the, the star was the show and everyone yeah. was working together in tandem to do that and we had the proper guidance and tools from people like yourself to teach us to to get there yeah so it was greatly appreciated um i can pretty much guarantee i wouldn't be doing this show if it wasn't if it wasn't for <laughs> that i definitely wouldn't be having ridiculous intros where i'm doing paul lind voices if it wasn't for if it wasn't for <laughs> Uh, my, my experience doing improv and learning character workshops. So yeah. I, I am confident I'd be a completely different person if it wasn't for it. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, I guess yeah, this is as, good, as good a platform you. as any to, to <laughs> say you. that. Um, and then I, I just one, one last little anecdote that I do remember. It, it's, of course, there were so many exercises and uh, one-on-one sessions that people had with you that were extremely beneficial. But the one to me that I always remember, it wasn't even for me, it was for another student, <laughs> but I just remember it being so specific and so brilliant and it really worked well to the student's advantage, was in, I believe it was my senior year, we did a production of The Crucible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one, and for those unfamiliar or, you know, can't quite remember everything about it. It was the Crucible in a nutshell is about the Salem witch trials. Not uh, a comedy. Not a comedy, <laughs> even a little bit of a very dour subject, and more so due to the fact that it also serves as an allegory for the uh, Joseph McCarthy trials and the Red Scare of the era in which uh, Arthur Miller, the playwright, wrote it. And so, and one of the characters is a sort of fill-in for McCarthy, which is a, a judge named Danforth. And I remember, I don't even know if you know where this is going right now, but I remember the the, the kid who played Danforth, yeah. um, uh, a, re- a really actually uh, terrific actor who's still doing a lot of acting now. I remember your key to him was, you were like, you're like, you're like there, there's a lot of mannerisms and, and specific, specific, uh, very niche characteristics of a guy, you were like, you were like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this guy, but his name is Antonin Scalia, <laughs> and, and you were like, you were like, study Antonin Scalia, and 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 see him, see like for playing this peace and love to the family of Mr. Scalia, uh, absolutely, uh, the the late Mr. Scalia. Um, regardless of what you think of him, he did have a profound impact on this country, whether for better or for worse. That's up to you to decide. I'm not gonna dip my feet in there right now it's not yeah. that kind of show <laughs> yeah but uh I, I just remember saying like for this guy who was playing this character who was this sort of high and mighty judge who sort of had final say over everything and in this instance of widespread paranoia and desire to cover everyone's backs um what is this guy with 
the utmost power, how is he going to react? And you said study Scalia. And that showed in his performance in a way that was subtle, but it was there if you were specifically looking for it. Yeah. I remember, like, this is just one example of a I'm glad I remember that very well, too. And and why? Because you're, you're dealing with young people and asking them not only to play older people, um, which is a total, as I, as I tell young people, there's the uh, burden of living that shows up <laughs> as an older person. Right. <laughs> um, and you're asking them to have that on there. And then also not only just an adult or an older person, but someone with this kind of bold and power and weight to right. them. So um, for him, it was just like a lot of people come from, oh, I'll think about it and then do it. Some people come and we do that at the Groundlings. I have a lot of different workshops to come up with characters. Some people are more aural, some people are more physical, some people tactile, whatever. So for him, I was trying to like, you know, mannerisms and taking on someone is going to translate. So we're, that's going from the outside to the inside. But for a young person who didn't have a lot of experience, I, I didn't think the inside was going to come to the outside so fast. Right. Um, so for him, it's like taking it on will go from the outside to the inside, which right. I think did help it, for him. And it really and did. And essentially the, the, the matching of that was about someone who is super confident about what they're saying. Right. Uh, someone who's very bold and a big character, right? Big, right. bold. So uh, that added to his youth maybe would give him a little bit more of the weight and stuff. But I do that a lot, uh, especially with younger people. I go, go watch this character, just feel them, just do them. Cause you're not a mimic. You're not going to do them exactly, but right. something in them will, you know, will stick. catch a hold up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it did. And that I assume is, I mean, you very clearly have a knack for that. You've been doing that field of work and character coaching for ages now. Thanks. Um, I hope so. I love it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it would be, be weird if you didn't at this point, but, yeah. um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, well, I, this is about where we have to wrap up. I believe we are out of t yeah, we're we're out of time here. So yeah. it, it's uh, I'm gonna have some editing to do tonight. Yeah. But uh, Kathy, thanks so much for coming on uh, for ringing in my first hour long episode of my show. I feel very honored. It was uh, it was really fun. Well, I, you I sit around and talk about <laughs> me and you and improv and comedy for days. This, <laughs> I know. I'm actually like we said at the beginning of this, I was like I was like listen, this interview will go as long as it does. If it's 20 minutes, if it's half an hour, great. Yeah. Uh, no pressure. And I kind of can't believe we've already exceeded an hour. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I think... Uh, <laughs> now you know better. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> exactly. God, what have I done? Um, you just made my job so hard. Yeah. Uh, my job that I don't get paid for. Yeah. No. Um, but no. Uh, in all seriousness, yeah, Kathy, thanks so much for being on. You're welcome. Uh, before we go, if there is there any social media or anything uh, people can follow you at if they want to if they're interested in what you're up to or do you not want um, to share that no i uh i'm on i love instagram i'm like a social media nerd but um uh it's actually show food chef so like showbiz but it's show food chef okay. com um is a is a blog because that's i'm a plate spinner as a lot of artists are so i'm really into the food world and stuff too plate spinner so yeah double so entendre. it's like yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, Show Food Chef, um, that's my Instagram and blog and everything. Okay. And uh, as far as the Groundlings is concerned, do you have any upcoming shows or any classes that you'll be teaching soon? Or if so, or if in the future, is there somewhere they could find out? I have classes, but, you know, those are all part of the... I generally just teach the upper levels, the writing and performance workshops. So that's like at third, fourth, and fifth levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just in the alumni show every now and then when it matches their and me you know there are a lot of alumni who do a wednesday night show crazy uncle joe show is awesome in fact taryn's in it this wednesday night oh taryn Kellen. Uh, yeah oh wow uh he comes back every now and then does that he's another awesome such a great guy oh yeah um and uh thursday night show is all improv and then friday and saturday is the main company and sunday night is their touring minor league company um, and every now and then they'll, they'll do a special alumni show or a decade show or something like that. So I, I pop in those now and then. But, um, yeah, there's always something over there. Great. Well, not. <laughs> yeah, so people can just go to the Groundlings website to find yeah. out tickets. And, and they can sort of keep in touch there with seeing yeah. if you got anything coming up. Great. Well, Kathy, thanks so much for being yeah. on. I really, really appreciate it. Sure. All right, thanks. <laughs>